Hello, loyal listeners. Welcome to TTP Titan Truth Podcast, episode number 245. Today is the day. Maybe the last podcast I ever record. And look, I know I said that last week. And yeah, maybe maybe the week before and a few other times. But look, this is the point. After five years of deep cover at Apex Cybernetics, I'm finally taking my shot. Something bad is going on here. I don't know what it is, but I'm about to walk in and download hard evidence and expose a vast corporate conspiracy. And yeah, you can call me a whistleblower, but I ain't just whistling. I mean, this, this is more than a leak. It's a flood. And believe me, this flood is going to wash away all Apex's lies. You can believe that. Psych! You actually don't have to believe that because this isn't the Titan Truth Teller podcast. This is Affable Chat. Whoa! <laughs> my name is Benjamin. This is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Godzilla versus Kong. This is a big American-Japanese monster fight crossover movie. Directed by Adam Wingard. The cast includes Tarzan, Eleven, Sarah, Alfred Paperboy Miles, Fran, Belschnickel, Sharon, Eric Taylor, and Bob the Mexican. I watched this movie on HBO Mid. Joey, how did you watch this movie? <laughs> I watched it on HBO Max because the monsters were so big. Oh, yes. The only, the only streaming platform large enough That's to right. contain the power of these gigantic monsters. Well... Let's hear about him, Joey. Why don't we give him our synopsis for Godzilla versus Kong? Okay. Worried about Godzilla's unlimited power, a technology company called Apex Cybernetics hires uh, Dr. Nathan Lind to find a secret power source hidden at the center of the Earth. Lind believes that the Earth is hollow and giant prehistoric creatures like uh, Godzilla and King Kong live deep under us. Lind is not respected for his crazy theories, and he jumps at the opportunity to prove himself. No one has ever been able to get to the Hollow Earth, but Lind has a crazy idea. What if they shipped King Kong to Antarctica, and the giant ape led them there? And what if they suddenly had a vehicle perfectly capable of getting them to Hollow Earth, even though that's never been possible before? It's so crazy, it just might work. They remove King, uh, remove King Kong from his Truman Show-style dome on Skull Island and put him on a big boat. On the way, Godzilla arrives and starts to attack. They have an epic fight in the water, and Kong barely makes it alive. But Godzilla has been beat back, and they make it the rest of the way. Even though Godzilla definitely could have killed all of them, he retreats because he doesn't want the movie to end yet. That's right, just the first encounter. Once in Antarctica, Kong leads them straight to the hollow earth with the humans following in Apex's super sweet flying ships. Kong finds the ancient resting place of his ancestors and sits on a long abandoned throne. Proving that Kong is yet another crown-licking monarchist. Got him. <laughs> the humans dig up a sample of the earth's power core. Uh, Godzilla, sensing what is happening below, drills a hole to the hollow earth and Kong climbs up it. Uh, they have another long fight, and this time it's closer, but Godzilla wins again. He goes back to destroying another Apex Cybernetics building. This facility contains Mecha Godzilla, a giant robot lizard uh, that is explicitly stronger than Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla, now with the power of the Earth's core, which, side note, the power of the Earth's core can be downloaded over the internet in about 45 seconds. 
magic uh you know magic of d- dinosaur uh uh tele tele flat or something oh yeah it totally makes sense i'm yeah. just just a fun fact <laughs> uh, uh Godzilla breaks free from its human masters and becomes completely autonomous it gets out of the facility destroying everything and the only one left to stop it is flesh godzilla they fight but Godzilla is too powerful Luckily, Kong is brought back from the edge of death and joins the fight. Together, Big Lizzie and Big Monkey fight the giant l- robot lizard and cut him to bits. The movie ends with Godzilla and Kong begrudgingly respecting each other, and they go their separate ways. Kong uses his newly acquired ability to do sign language to say, We're not so different, you and I, to Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Also, Eleven from Stranger Things listens to Paperboy from Atlanta's Conspiracy Podcast. The end. There you wow. have it. Godzilla versus Kong, the highly anticipated HBO Max release. Let's start with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Godzilla versus Kong? What's not to like about big, epic uh, monster fights? Uh, this movie, I think, is focused on the right things. There's um, some pretty neat visuals, especially the reversing gravity stuff. Looks great. Um, And Mechagodzilla is pretty cool, too. Uh, What about you? What did you like about it? There's definitely a few things I liked about this movie. Um, I definitely liked the epic CGI monster battles. Also, I felt like the monster battles had some truly epic moments. And the monster epic battle CGI moments were really good. And I also felt like there was accurate portrayal of podcasters. (laughs) So I felt it was representation. uh, yeah, that flew under the radar for me, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, all right, what about cons, Joey? What did you not like about Godzilla versus Kong? It's really uh, just a monster fighting movie. That's about it. Um, yeah. Is this movie pro conspiracy or at least pro internet radicalization? <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't even try to pretend that the humans matter. Uh, so hard. It's so hard to gauge damage and impact during these fights um, because at a certain point, like it's just too. They're so big and they're fighting. They're punching each other, but it's like, does that matter? What's going on? You know, it's like Superman fighting Zod. It's like, what's the impact of him punching him and throwing him against this wall? Like, does that do anything? Sure, uh, sure. And I and I also I um and this is just coming to me now, but I, I also feel like I couldn't really gauge how much destruction was happening to the world. Cause yeah. in my, in the past, I kind of envisioned Godzilla as like, he shows up and he destroys the city. And part of the, the, the horror or the excitement of the situation is that, holy crap, he's destroying the city in this movie. It felt like, man, well, that's we're used to that now it's not really that big of a everybody <laughs> right. hides in the titan bunker and it's fine we'll just rebuild the city and it doesn't really have any weight to it um but for me my cons i thought that the b plot was really cringe and didn't really matter i mean there were some things about it that mattered for exposition but i hated it i didn't want to <laughs> spend time with these characters there's way too much time spent not showing monsters fighting each other in this movie and also there were recognizable actors playing boring parts so Mm. it it didn't really benefit from the fact that it had 11 it didn't really benefit from the fact that it had paperboy these weren't interesting roles so it doesn't really add anything despite having talented actors playing them yeah so those are our pros and our cons let's move into our overall section Look, I mean, I can't say the monkey punching the lizard movie was bad because ultimately the monkey and the lizard punch each other quite a bit. 
So it it did what it promised. Okay. <laughs> I also <laughs> also just I know that he's like uh, King Kong's not technically a monkey because he doesn't have a tail. He's technically an ape. But I'm gonna keep calling him a monkey just because. It, everyone knows he's a monkey. It's funnier. <laughs> the meme is that he's a monkey, <laughs> and um, and it did deliver. I think I I I know what you're saying. Like it didn't have enough munch, monkey punching or enough monster fighting in it. But compared to the other, at least the first Godzilla and the other uh, in the Kong movie, this had a lot more of that. It was a lot more visual, like like a showing of Godzilla and, and Kong, you know, showing them in their full form and everything, standing out, not obscured by smoke or anything like that. Uh, so the, there, was a, there was a lot um, there that I think was an improvement from previous movies where it was always it's kind of veiled in shadows. You can only see his foot or you only see his eye at one point, you know? So okay. uh, this I, like showing the full form was it's kind of an improvement on, the, on that. That's definitely fair and important to note. I haven't seen Godzilla King of Monsters or Kong Skull Island. So the comparisons to previous films and notable improvements completely like invisible to me, as well as fan service and continued storylines. So I, I think I have to understand that my disappointment in this movie is partially rooted in that. But I also feel like there's more to be disappointed about than just the fact that I'm jumping into this in the third movie. Yeah. I mean, you can always that's the thing it's like i feel like that con is definitely warranted because in a movie where they promise that monsters are going to fight each other you you want that as much as possible and anything distracting from that is is a detriment to it you know yeah and and i guess it it wouldn't be a detriment to it if i thought that the other stuff in the movie was good but it wasn't so by the end i was thinking well let's just have just fill it in with more of the good stuff yeah but I mean, all of, you know, you get everything that you would, could want, right? So um, the the lizard and the monkey fight in water. The lizard fights the monkey with a big axe. The monkey and lizard team up to fight a robot lizard. Um, you know, that's that's all the combinations I think there are, right? That, I think that is <laughs> that checks all the boxes. Um, but you know, what what, poss- what more could you possibly want? Story, characters, moral dilemmas, humor. <laughs> consequences lessons why would you want those things yeah it seems a bit greedy <laughs> you, to me didn't you see the monkey punch the lizard <laughs> <laughs> ultimately like uh, the, the, this movie kind of fails because godzilla is just too powerful godzilla is not a character he's a force of nature like a meteor or a hurricane kong is a little bit more of a character but he's still perfectly rational throughout and completely predictable because of that the humans who are characters have conflicting goals, secrets, flaws, but they also have nothing to do. Once the fighting starts, there's almost there's almost no effect on that outcome. Um, and and but also like how lame would it be if they did? If if uh, Paperboy and Josh had successfully hacked Mechagodzilla, and that would have just been have been so boring. It's like oh, and then he shuts down like the end of Phantom Menace. You know, like, <laughs> oh, we got this far by punching and laser breath. Why we can't let hacking solve the problem. We need more carnage, right? That's that's the actual end. Agreed. So to have them kind of interrupt that a little bit makes them so ineffective. But also they've written themselves into a corner where there's nothing that the humans could do at that point that would uh, be reasonable. That they seem like a reasonable effect. You know, maybe if they brought in another like uh, like a, like a Pacific Rim you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jaeger or something, and then they were fighting that way or something, maybe they could say, oh, now the humans have some sort of um, 
the effect on that storyline. But if they were to just say, you know, shoot him with missiles and then he explodes and then that's the end. It's like, well, <laughs> that's, you know, that's boring. You want to have him fight to the death with, uh, with our two big uh, monster boys. So that, that's the thing is like, even if they're, even if they could find something for the humans to do, it wouldn't be effective and it wouldn't give you a satisfying ending. And that's like a real shame because then you, you've really kind of screwed it from the very beginning. The, the whole concept is kind of flawed. Yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, I, I don't know. The humans have their own story. Um, I think Eileen sucks, personally. Um, she's supposed to be Kong's protector, but she just basically lets Lin do whatever he wants to him. You know, she's like standing there like, I just like with her arms on her hips, like, you know, I'm a. I'm not gonna let you take him to Antarctica. And Lynn's like, but you know, I'm a washed up professor, and these these really rich guys told me I could. So, and she's like, all right, I guess we can do that. Um, and right, then she's like, okay, fine, but I'm calling the shots, and right. then calls zero shots. Zero shots, right? <laughs> and then she like finds out later that he can speak sign language, which like, yeah, okay. and you were studying him. Like, how could you not find that out somehow? You know, not, he's very okay. big. <laughs> this is she's doubly at fault here because not only is the primate that she's supposed to be monitoring learning sign language without her knowledge, but also the kid that she has custody of is teaching him sign language, and so she didn't. <laughs> notice either one come on she right. she's the top doctor on kong no wonder this world has a problem with titans this is the best <laughs> they've got come on eileen yeah <laughs> come on <laughs> okay totally unintentional but uh seriously i agree eileen sucks she's boring she just besides her concerned face throughout like she has no yeah. impact on this film Right, well, she, like, uh, Lynn's like, okay, tell the little girl to lie to the big ape. And uh, she's like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, well, but, you know, we got this far, right? And she's like, I guess we will. (laughs) (laughs) So easily convinced. She really is just pushed over all the time. And so, yeah, no sympathy for her. Uh, Although, like, I feel like it does also work out for her. Like, thinking back on why she would do that, like, clearly the Truman Show-style dome that Kong was living in was collapsing because Kong knew he was living in a simulation, um, as we all are. And um, so he gets uh, put into Antarctica to go to the Hollow Earth, thinking that maybe this is, the you know, uh, this is where he came from, and maybe he'll meet others like him, and this will be a happier place, which you do see at the end. He is living in the center of the Earth, so maybe that did work out for her. I don't know. No, I think you're right. I mean, it, the um, conclusion of the arc for Kong or uh, Kong's arc throughout this is Kong doesn't have a home. And in the mm. end, he does have a home. And in, in this compared to a lot of other characters in this movie, that's pretty dynamic. So True. he I, I think you're right. There, there is something to her wanting him to get there. But I think she pr- purports to want to protect Kong. And she just totally throws him to the wolves immediately. And he does suffer for that. He has to fight to hella monsters and and get beat up a lot. But in the end, you know, he gets to live in the place he's meant to live in. That's true. And isn't that his kind of purpose is to fight monsters? I mean, that's like him. That's like what he does. He fights monsters in Skull Island, protects the world from, you know, the dangers of the hollow earth coming to the surface. It's true. I mean, I was thinking about that at the end when it shows him like chilling in Hollow Earth. Hollow Earth is a place that's full of monsters that were shown are totally capable of murdering Kong. Without the help from the Heaves missiles, he he would have died 
five minutes into being in hollow earth so is it that great of a place for him to live i mean this guy he's just too big to live anywhere in peace maybe sure. he'll he'll get into better fighting shape after living there for a while and become an apex predator and, and not have to worry about dying from the snakes but he definitely almost died uh from the snakes yeah the snakes and they are still him. monitoring him so i guess the humans could swoop in for the protect if they want to but maybe there's yeah. other kongs and stuff down there they can study more creatures one of my favorite things that was like during the fights when like they built they brought in the missiles and stuff just to like kind of distract godzilla or whoever and like kong took they took that as an advantage like they were like pr like they were working with kong in tandem with them that was for cool moments i like that stuff um i wish there has been a little bit more of that a little more of like tactics like okay here's what we're gonna do you know we're gonna we're gonna fly in there and we're gonna shoot godzilla at this at this specific time and that's gonna give kong the opening he needs to get him or something but you know it's just like kind of random it's like oh now the missiles come in and then they're shooting at godzilla and godzilla's like missiles <laughs> and then kong takes advantage of that but i don't know it's just uh it's just kind of random violence at a certain point. Right. I think it would have been a little more compelling if they tried, instead of literally chaining Kong to the to the boat and giving him a yeah. huge disadvantage, it would be cool if they were able to equip him with some sort of weapon. It's like, Godzilla may have laser breath, but you have our shield. And like now mm. you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And, and like Kong, because in again, this is my first King Kong movie. I thought that king kong was totally unpredictable and completely out of control so having to travel with him was dangerous in itself but that's not how he is he's actually kind of predictable and, and actually kind of works well with the humans so it, i think they should have leaned harder into that instead of trying to have both because you're right there's a potential for kind of a kong human team up that could have been even more epic you could have upped the epicness uh in the battles if if you gave kong a little bit more of an edge because as it stands he has no chance against godzilla what if they you know what if they brought in some guy who is like a combat expert who's like he's like a crazy kooky combat expert or something and he's devised a kong human like fighting style you know yeah and, and he's like they bring him in and he's like here's what we need to do and he sounds like a total kook but then it, it, all the stuff works because he's like this is kong's great i've studied all of his the way he fights and uh this is the best way for us to uh, like give him an advantage in a fight is if we strike at this point or something or if we give him if we give him a big axe he's gonna be able to wreck like wreck havoc everywhere so Right, or like yeah, you, you've learned sign language, now learn Tai Chi or some, something <laughs> like that. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, honestly, I think it's fine just to have them go. Like, it's super epic to have them just punch the crap out of each other. I, I, we don't yeah. need it to be completely functional like that, but I think it would even the odds to have Kong have some sort of backup from the humans because, again, it just after seeing this movie, I'm like, how could I ever think that any other outcome would be would happen um, besides Godzilla beating Kong? I mean, he has laser breath. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's OP as hell. <laughs> like how it could drill four thousand miles into the center of the Earth. Yeah. Like if you're Godzilla, <laughs> how do you not just always go straight to that and then just? Well, he did a lot, which I was happy with. You know. Like, there was a lot of laser breath, which I was happy with, because I feel like if he didn't use it as much as he could have, people would be like, well, why didn't he laser him right there, you know? Why not I've, laser him right when you see him on the boat, though, while he's chained to the boat? I think he has to charge up or something. I don't know. I, there is, like, a lot of preparation, it seems, to, to get all the, uh, the, the radiation breath. 
Okay, fair enough. But it, it, he definitely does get stunned while he's trying to charge it up at various times. So it yeah. seems like that that works out. But having that and then Kong having just punches seems kind of like a mismatch. He does have the he does have that axe that's made out of like a Godzilla scale. That yes. was pretty cool. No, and that definitely evens the odds. That was cool. I'm glad they had that, um, which I guess kind of goes along with what we're saying. Like, give him something to, to give him a, a kind of an edge. But yeah. in the end, it ends up not even really being about Godzilla versus King Kong. So, um, yeah, <laughs> there's that as well. <laughs> but I think we were criticizing the humans. I want to I finish up on that a okay. little bit more. Um, so we talked about Eileen. I, I want to kind of go in on the group that uh, that consists of Paperboy, uh, Eleven, and Bell Snickle is what I'm calling him because <laughs> that's his name in the Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie. But I'm going to refer to this group as the Cringe Conspiracy Gang. Nice. Okay? They are supposed to provide some comic relief, but none of them are likable or funny. <laughs> Paperboy gets the closest <laughs> to being funny, but he's so much worse in this than he is in Atlanta. And I'm not... I know it's not fair to compare the two because they're completely different projects. But what I'm saying is that I know he can be really funny when he's given good material, but he doesn't have much to work with here. Both Paperboy and Eleven are conspiracy theorists, uh, which Belschnickel goes out of his way to point out as being completely unhinged. But Belschnickel is a cringy teenager, and Paperboy and Eleven go out of their way to point that out all the time. <laughs> So what we get is a misfit gang that is both unhinged and cringe, and there's just <laughs> not a lot to like. They do provide some important information on what Apex is up to, but what Apex is up to isn't really that complicated. It's just building Mecha Godzilla. Right, and they find out about it, and then that's that, then he gets out, you know? Yeah. Like, well, we it's... Yeah, yeah. It's not like we were totally blind to what our villains were doing. We got to check in with them just as much. We yeah. could have learned what they were doing by just watching what they were doing, you know? So, that, like, that, I mean, it just seems like an unnecessary amount of time spent on these, uh, on the cringe conspiracy gang. Also, the way they explain stuff is way too convenient. Like, as soon as they lay eyes on the Ghidorah skull where the pilot sits inside, Paperboy and Eleven are able to explain how the psionic uplink works and how they're controlling Mechagodzilla via hardwired DNA neural pathways. I mean, how is it possible that this movie is so long, but the plot exposition is done in such an express manner? It, I, it's a paradox. I, I honestly, I watched this movie twice and I still don't understand how it works. Like how they were able to stretch out the plot exposition while also explicitly stating everything immediately. So, I just, I really didn't appreciate their inclusion. It feels like they had them just to be like, okay, people from who like Atlanta will watch Alfred. People who like Stranger Things will watch Eleven. And people who love Kurt Russell as Santa Claus will, I guess, like <laughs> Belshazzar. I don't know. People who love New Zealand accents. Yes. And he does have a great New Zealand accent. I mean, he's good in, all three of these actors are good in other projects that I've seen them. But I hated them in this one. And finally, we kind of touched on this, but including them in the final battle by having Belshazzar pour liquor on the computer to stun Mecha Godzilla felt like parody. Oh my gosh! Yes, it's like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. They're like literally sitting there guessing the password, and they're like, 
I don't know anything. I took, what do you say? Like I took an HTML class once or something. Like yeah, did, like, try QWERTY. Quite try QWERTY as the password. They're just Come trying on. like different passwords to try and to do what exactly? They had no plan whatsoever. And then right. like yeah, he pours liquid on the uh, the monitor, and that somehow has the desired effect. I mean, it's the same thing as when you know they they break into the facility and they like just uh, smash the um, uh, the door like control panel or something and it opens right. the door right? right i mean it's a classic like oh we don't know how to get into this place so we'll just smash the thing yeah if you're if you're a, sec- a security you know company or something all you have to do is say if there's a malfunction with the door uh close it it, it closes uh, automatically it's on some sort of you know spring mechanism or something where it's always closed uh not always open uh, right. that would solve these problems this Apex company can build Mecha Godzilla, but they can't build a functional door. You know, yeah. like it's or it's, have any sort of security so that no one can just wander in from the street into their spooky purple elevator down to the bottom floor, get into a cargo ship that's like a hyperloop to the other side of the world, <laughs> full of eggs, right? And then just stumble out without ever being checked. You know, like like isn't someone going to receive that? Isn't someone going to open that up and be like, okay, got the eggs in here? Oh wait, there are people in here. We need to uh, do something about that. <laughs> right. And it, it, none of that matters. You know, it's just for the sake of having funny characters, quote unquote, funny characters stumbling around, and yeah. also having Eleven being hyper concerned and emotional about everything that's going on. Right. You can't do this to Godzilla. He, Dad, he's peaceful. <laughs> Come uh, on, Dad. You don't even know. I've been listening to podcasts. Yeah. I know what's going on. It's cringe, dude. And and it, it's the pouring the liquor, which, by the way, the liquor was supposed to be Paperboy's arc, where he's like, by the way, was, was he in the earlier movies? Did you watch his, do we see his wife die? No, I, I haven't seen the second Godzilla movie. I've only seen the first one. And none of these characters are in the first one. Okay, well, that's the thing, because they, they try to shoehorn in. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, how did that scene feel so long but contain so little? Because basically, Paperboy sits down, and he's like, oh, you want to know my backstory? Well, my wife died, and now I have whiskey in my gun holster. And if you ever see me drink this, then that means I've truly given up. And then nothing about that for the rest of the movie until the very end, where he goes, I guess I'm going to drink my whiskey now. That's it, dude. It's like, okay, I don't give a shit, dude. I do not care. And having them pour that over is is cringe uh, in itself but for reasons we already described. And it ends up, while it does stun Mechagodzilla, it's basically not that important because it doesn't stop no. Mechagodzilla. They still right, have to well, kill him That's the thing. It can't stop him. If it stopped him, then that would be a, a boring ending. So, yeah, it, it can have very little effect on it. And... Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how, like, how could they incorporate these characters in another way? I don't know. I mean, maybe if they had some, like, if they brought in a paper boy to talk, like, he's like, turns out you were right all along. We've been monitoring you. We're the CIA or something, you know? And then, like, we need you to talk about why he might be doing this. And they, they bring him in kind of like a, uh, um, like, in, the, in Transformers when they, like, go and raid that guy's house because he's, like, an expert in something, in, like, decryption or something. Um remember and then they bring him into to the hoover dam and he has to tell him how to do stuff um or and then you know what's her name could she her she clearly has connections to the monarch uh thing which is like a rescue operation named after the titans like a titan cleanup thing maybe she could have some bigger impact on the, the thing or maybe she could be like a 
I don't know, like maybe she's what the pilot or something, you know, she's like a part of the organization. And she's like very rigid and uh, part of the um, she's the one controlling Mechagodzilla. Or something oh, like that. wow. Yeah, that would you be know? interesting. I don't know. Or Having maybe, her- maybe Bell Schnickel becomes convinced to become a conspiracy theorist in the movie. Yeah. Like his the end of his arc is he drinks bleach. <laughs> <laughs> I do make a Tide Pod reference in this movie, which is, you know, only four or five years late. <laughs> Right. Um, no, but you're, what you're saying is so true is it would be interesting if they had their own things going on, but instead right. they're just kind of, you know, dragging behind the main story arc and they're so inconsequential as to make it seem like it's just a waste of time to pay attention to them. It does feel like Millie Bobby Brown is playing the same character as she does sort of in Stranger Things, even though she's like more she's like more vocal or something. But she's like, I'm, you know, I'm a impassioned team, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just seems so like typical, I guess. Yeah. No, it's like she's good at crying on command. So she'll play the role where we need her to be emotional. Yeah. And okay, whatever. Don't (laughs) care. I I really do think that there's an opportunity. uh, Like maybe if we had gotten to this earlier in the series where you make Paperboy into some sort of truth teller about the Titans and like because of his involvement with this, it adds credibility and then he has a newer bigger platform in the end maybe they're even building to that but it doesn't really matter like everybody knows what titans are like what is he really going to say that people don't already know at this point so yeah it's just just playing up with you know it's a a topical thing to have a conspiracy podcast you know that's true conspiracies are in the news everyone knows about conspiracies everybody's got a podcast i want to talk about whatever yeah, yeah, I want to be clear. I mean, such an accurate portrayal of what it's like to be a <laughs> podcaster. I mean, he's having no effect on the real world. Having no effect on the real world. He's not funny. Be- being pretty kooky. <laughs> being kooky. Um, being like cringy about asking people to be on your podcast. Yeah, I guess the first thing he says when he meets the monarch guy. I mean, just spot on. I got. I got to say, I felt seen and represented uh, in his portrayal. <laughs> but other than that, it felt like a waste of my time. So that's that's the cringe conspiracy gang. Not a big fan. Uh, beyond that, I thought Lind was, I don't know, he felt more necessary because he was actually on the quest with Kong, but he still was boring. He was still just generic white male lead. Yeah, yeah. I, like for someone who studied Hollow Earth for his entire life, did not seem that excited to be in Hollow Earth. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like it is real. Anything exactly. Like that. They they do move in herds. <laughs> right. Say something like that. Come on. <laughs> That's a really good point. He didn't give a shit that they were in Hollow Earth. No, oh my he, gosh. He became a corporation Andy as soon as the Apex showed up. He's like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, guys. <laughs> That's my hilarious. brother died on this on this d- dangerous mission i don't care i'll do it yeah you got yeah. some some new heaves or something bring that where's up his, bring that up where's his flask of in the gun holster you know <laughs> yeah. that he drinks the right of his, of his brother i know oh my god they missed so hard on that they could have <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that is terrible that's even worse than i thought yeah yeah he's he's boring and then i thought gia which was apparently her name had no idea but uh gia i think is how you pronounce it was the mute girl who Mm -hmm. like she has she's interesting because she can communicate with kong but they already had a strong relationship at the beginning of the film we see the relationship progress a little bit when we see them communicate with sign language but that's 30 minutes into the movie from then on it doesn't really progress they're at the same level of we're best friends 
And it, like, it doesn't change the rest of the movie. It's cool, I guess, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And she's not really given much agency, you know? She's just like, I, she's just a vehicle to use to communicate with Kong. But she's like, she clearly understands the situation pretty deeply. But nobody wants to listen to her because she's just a kid. You know, she's a, she's a mute kid. So what, you know, what's she going to say? You know what I mean? So, um, but Eileen doesn't seem to take her very seriously, even though she's like the only person who seems to understand Kong. Clearly has a better understanding of what Kong wants than Eileen does. So, uh, yeah, like she never gets a chance to like stand up for herself and, or say like, all, all she is is like voicing Kong's emotions for us because CGI monsters are hard to make emote, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> I, well, I don't even know if I agree with that, um, but hold on, I'll get to that in a second. Um, obviously, that's what they think, but I think you could do it better. Um, I, I already criticized in the synopsis the hollow earth aerial vehicles heave. The whole reason why... I, I thought they were pretty cool. They were like, kind of like Tron vehicles. They had like the, 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 the like, uh, trail of you know, anti-gravity stuff or whatever. You know? Yes, and they definitely lead us to some of the more compelling visual sequences in the movie. I really liked the way that they th- like things looked when they went from Earth to Hollow Earth with the colors and and like yeah, kind the of, transition thing. Yeah, that was cool. That was really cool when they pop out of the hole that Godzilla made and they fly really close to Kong and then they fly really close to Godzilla. That was awesome. It made me feel like I was on like a roller coaster. Yeah, didn't Godzilla yeah, like catch one and, and crush it, or was that was that Kong? That was that? Kong. Oh my. Okay. Well, bringing that up, I didn't even mention her in my sc- like what I wrote here. But Fran's character sucked, dude. <laughs> she was a corporation anti, and then she's also just classic, uh, you know, villain who's needlessly evil because yes. they're about to try to escape Hollow Earth, and Kong is just standing there near the hole. Instead of going around him, they're like, get him out of the way, shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) Which, unless you're just a complete idiot, you have to know that's not going to kill him. First off, why would you want to kill him? But second off, that's not going to work. All it's going to do is piss him off. And then they face instant justice, which at least that happened. At least they face instant justice. But it was like, that was suicide to shoot at Kong from that distance. Come on. Just idiots. (laughs) Like I had to roll my eyes, just like, oh, of course, the, yeah, she's evil, how it so is. she's gonna do that. But they had to get rid of her somehow, so yeah, I mean, couldn't keep her around. It was satisfying to see him crush that thing in his hand, but that was awesome. Yeah, I don't know, it just seems so <laughs> stupid. But okay, the, the what I'm trying to say is, um, and and this is just comes from me being kind of uh, new to the the universe of Kong and Godzilla, but. It seemed like Hollow Earth was really hard to get to before, and the whole point was because like the the transition to getting there was impossible and to kill people. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, but we fix that now, which yeah is pretty convenient. And then to pack t- on, on top of that, the heaves double as uh, a defibrillator that's able yes. to restart well, no, no, electricity heart. equals life starting. Don't you know that? <laughs> we learned that in a in Batman v Superman or well, not Batman v Superman. Um, Justice League, uh, Dawn of Grayness. That's right. Uh, they, <laughs> they they put they put the big box in and Superman into the big pool, and then they put a bunch of electricity in it, and it brings it back to life. You know, That's, it, okay. You're electricity right. equals um, restarting the heart or in the bring HBO back Max to life. Cinematic Universe. That's okay. right. Fair, okay, I retract my criticism because you're right. That's airtight. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I think that the inclusion of the heaves has enough epic moments to justify them, but I think that there's just 
more examples of this movie being kind of just lame in the way that they do things because it's you know they it makes it so convenient yeah well i mean the biggest plot hole is the hole that uh uh, Godzilla drills to hollow earth like apparently they have to go through some sort of weird membrane to get there like to to go from earth to hollow earth but to get back all they have to do is drill a giant monster hole you know it, it's, it's silly I mean I don't know what the um how yeah and how quickly yeah. can Kong climb out of that shit right like I know it's so far I think <laughs> yeah I don't even is, know I, I don't care yeah. I'm glad it, I didn't have to watch a long sequence of Kong climbing this movie was long <laughs> enough but it yeah that he should have used the he should have used the heaves as as rocket skates he should have oh. stood on them and so then they zoomed them up that yeah was cool. it's right and then Kong would have an example to show off his manual dexterity because his feet have thumbs so he could grab yeah. onto them and skate up. come on we're <laughs> come on how are we not <laughs> How are we not, uh, you know, <laughs> consulted on consulting on this? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I could I could go on complaining about this movie, but that's not a very productive use of time. I, I, I think this movie has great monster action, but the rest really can be tossed out. I suggest this is inspired by seeing the Snyder Cut, but we could do kind of the opposite. We could make a Godzilla versus Kong compendious cut and just have no dialogue at all and only monster battles let people try to piece together the plot from what they see on screen while they're enjoying the monster combat i honestly think that you could do this without words and the plot doesn't i mean like the plot already is not that complex yeah and it would save us about an hour of time i genuinely think it'd be a better movie if it was only like 45 minutes long (laughs) yeah I don't know, the raid, but with monsters. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like focus on the action. That's all you got. That's all you need. And and this is going back to saying, like, I think you could be pretty expressive with the monsters. I think you could do it. I think you could show Kong being upset with where he's at. And you could even show doctors being like, oh, what do we do? But, like, you don't even have to hear them say anything. Right, right. Like, you could, uh, and and just have Godzilla, uh, I mean, just have the fight scenes you already have. And um, end the movie a lot faster, but obviously that would never happen. Who makes a forty-five minute long movie? But you have to you... have have to have actors in it, apparently. Yeah, that too. Uh, but do you? I, I mean, I'm still so new to the Godzilla like universe. The reason I watched this movie was not for Paperboy or Eleven. I watched this movie because I want to see Godzilla and King Kong, and right. I, I trust that they could they could shoulder the weight of the movie on, on their own. But um, that's just my opinion, I guess. I'm wondering what this, how this movie plays for godzilla and uh, king kong super fans people who uh, stand these monsters if they think yeah this is actually like maybe there's fan service i'm missing out on i don't know um because i i don't think that this is unique to uh this movie as the way that these mo- monsters are portrayed or how the story is told like i was talking to one of my friends who's seen a bunch of other godzilla movies and he's like yeah basically when i was a kid i thought these were really, really good but when i got older i realized that the stories all suck and it's all about just watching <laughs> monsters fight which yeah. is fine if that's all you want um but like am i wrong for wanting there to be a movie where like it has more than that you know yeah, I don't know. No, you don't. You're not wrong for that. I, I don't know. It's just a. Uh, it's a problem with the genre they haven't figured out yet. Is how to incorporate human stories with the monster stories, you know, and not have them be so. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, what's the word? Um, uh, not not aligned. I guess they're they're. It's so hard for you to say. Okay, well, this is um, 
this is one story and then this is the other story and have them be connected in a way that really feels like they impact each other. Um, you know, having that B storyline is really kind of t- taking away a lot from what you want from the story. So it's just something they have to figure out. Um, I think as the monsters get bigger, uh, which is something, which is the trend, you know, the monsters is like uh, twice as big as it used, as it was when they first envisioned it. Um, the humans have less and less of an impact, but like, I don't know, technology also advances and stuff. So having like, including like Mecha Godzilla, kind of adds this interesting element of it because it's like a human made thing. Yeah, right? yeah. But um, it the like the lesson from that is really hard to parse, and it's hard to figure out exactly what that means because I actually read something online that like from Screen Rant that said uh, that. Mecha Godzilla was taken over by the skull that was inside of him, like the dragon or whatever that they defeated in, in King of Monsters. Right, right. He he was in charge of it now. It wasn't just that it it became its own like self thinking thing. It was that the uh, it jump started his the ancient dragon's uh, consciousness, and that's what was taking over Mecha Godzilla. Um, so like it's not even like a comment on AI necessarily, right? Right. It's like, oh. Uh, like we created something that we can't control and now what are we going to do about it now nature has to take its course like that's not even really what it's about uh, you have to kind of twist it to get there so i don't know it's it's a it's a problem with this kind of genre that uh eventually one day we'll figure it out i think sure but i don't think that this movie stands alone in its problems in that genre right exactly so what so for me i think it's that fundamentally from the very beginning the concept of it has a flaw to it right yeah you're saying okay well this is how it's always done or something or we have to include human characters you're limiting yourself you're you're hobbling yourself um from that if you you know i think this movie does a good job of focusing on the things that are important but not enough for it to rise above to be a great movie Sure, and I, I think what happened to me with this movie is I fell victim to the hype. I heard people talking about this movie for months before it came out online, and people were taking sides, and it's pretty easy to get on board with. If you have a movie that's like, okay, this movie's going to be simple, it's going to be Godzilla versus King Kong, who will win? Who will come out on top? And I was like, that's awesome. I want to see who wins. It's like a boxing match. Yeah. I want to see who the better monster is, but... I think that my expectations were wrong because I should know better than to think that there would actually be a winner. You can't have a franchise leader of Kong and a franchise leader of Godzilla fight each other and have one of them lose. You have to do the, uh, what is it, uh, Fast and the Furious character calculus to make mm-hmm. sure that each monster comes away looking epic enough that you can continue make movies about them, um, which... I recognize the reality of, but it's still really frustrating. I would <laughs> yes. prefer I would prefer to have stories that are not linear or, or that are not uh, chronological or connected anyway. We just say, okay, now here's another universe with Godzilla versus King Kong. Who will win this time? Right. Yeah. Add in some complicated parallel universe bullshit, um, and say, and then they have have one of them die at the end, right? And then you go to a different universe to the next movie. Sure. Or just. Don't even pretend that, like, don't even say they're connected at all. Just have a movie with Godzilla, have a movie with King Kong, and let one of them win or die. And then you make it again in five years, and who will win this time? Let them yeah. ch- like, change it up. I-, I know that's a completely different movie, and I pr- I'm guessing it's probably less profitable. But I would prefer, as a non-stan like, of monster movies, someone who's trying to get hooked, I would like to see that a little bit more with an actual answer to the question, who would win? 
I bet you this movie would be pretty good in theaters, though. It has been making a lot of money. It's oh, the, yeah. It's the, I, it's the, like, best, like, the biggest box office after, like, pre-COVID or post-COVID, I think. Yeah, I saw that. Which, it, it's great. I mean, every, it, there's a lot of reasons to get on board with it. Um, but I just don't. I think that it disappoints, um, even though the hook is really good. I really wanted to see who would win. But, yeah, that's uh, that's just all there is to it. Oh, well. But right, I think there's, yeah, let's, uh, sorry, well, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. I think there's still a lot to get excited about this movie. I know that we have gone on about how much there's not to like, but there still is a lot to like, and that's that you have two really epic monsters starring in this, and, um, and Godzilla is iconic for many reasons, but one of those reasons is his roar. That's right. Thank you for that transition. Yes. Um, <laughs> So I found this on a fandom website for Legendary Monsters, Legendary Series, Monsterverse.fandom.com. Um, and they talked about the history of Godzilla's roar, specifically the one that they made for this movie or the 2014 movie. Um, since Godzilla's roar is considered one of the most famous sound effects in film history, sound designers uh, Eric Adel and Ethan Van Der Ryan uh, were tasked with paying homage to it while revamping it and creating something new. Um, according to Edwards, uh, they spent six months over the three-year production experimenting with different techniques, such as a pine tar, uh, sorry, a pine tar coated leather glove on a double bass, trying to match the initial metallic shriek uh, and the following wail, which is how they originally made it. Uh, which is a part of the uh, wow. original Godzilla iconic roar. Uh, so using microphones that could record sound inaudible to human ears, the team recorded hundreds of sounds at 192 uh, kilohertz sample rate before slowing them down to an audible range until they stumbled upon the combination that gave them goosebumps. The final version that was created was the 50th the team produced. The pair tested the roar on a back lot of Warner Bros. using a 100,000-watt tour speaker array from the Rolling Stones. Um, the roar was powerful enough to rattle pipes and rooftops and was estimated that it could be heard up to three miles away. For this experiment, the crew actually sent out flyers to surrounding communities, warning the neighbors about the potential sound disruption. Despite the uh, preemptive measures, however, uh, somebody people kept getting calls that people were tweeting and people were tweeting Godzilla is at my apartment door. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's listen to the original uh, Godzilla roar uh, from 1950. I think you did this too, but there was a there's a bunch of uh, YouTube videos out there that show the the changes in the roars over time. It's, it's not the very first one. The very first one was sounded more like a like a kind of like a dinosaur like roar kind of thing. It wasn't until uh, later that they kind of like a couple iterations in that they came up with this one. But this is the one that stuck. It's it sounds kind of sireny, you know, it's like Aah! yes, like the whale and stuff, um, which is pretty cool. And um, so I got the I got the new one, the 2020 2021 roar, uh, which I think sounds pretty pretty good. Hold on. <laughs> So uh, I think in the end, they ended up take, coming up with a new thing and then kind of overlaying it with the old one, too. So you can kind of hear in the background there. It's still there, that kind of screech. Um, but now it's like uh, it's got that extra like dinosaur thing to kind of match his bigger and more lizardly like uh, form. 
Yeah, I can appreciate that. I don't know. I, I wasn't aware that it had changed throughout the years. So when I heard it initially, I was like, that's not Godzilla, you know, because I, I'm so used to hearing that original Godzilla sound. I actually had a toy from the Godzilla that came out in like the early 2000s when I was a kid. And of course, it had a button on its stomach that you could press and it would make the Godzilla scream. So nice. I had a very, I was very familiar with that older kind of iconic sound. And I, I don't know, I guess it, it does pretty, it pays homage to it while also being its own thing. So I, I, I can respect that. Yeah, the person who originally came up with was named uh, Akira uh, Ifakube um, from Japan. He, uh, uh, so that was, um, no, that was a long time ago, but they, they originally, they had a bunch of different ways of doing it um, and eventually came across that kind of, it's like a sticky glove across a, uh, like a string instrument. But the actual like ingredients for the, for the entire roar is still a secret. Uh, because Ooh. the uh, the creators of this one um, wanted to make it, wanted to kind of keep it opaque. That way, when you hear it, you hear Godzilla and not the sound that they're that they used to make it. Right. Um, so they wanted to keep that magic alive a little the bit. Secret cool. sauce. Yeah, that's right. I do like that a lot. And it's I I don't know. I think part of the reason why I don't want it to change is I just feel like Godzilla does such a good job of setting that like that sound sets itself apart from so many other sounds that huge monsters make yeah uh, so and like you said it's like one of the most iconic in film history so um anytime you change something like that i think there's going to be a little bit of pushback but um i also think it's pretty cool to try to push the limits of it me too okay well uh let's move forward to our quotable moments and really there's only one for this there's only one yeah that podcast is filling your head with garbage you should be in school. <laughs> <laughs> this is if you have ever told your parents or anyone who cares all about you a lot that you listen to Apple Chat, you've probably heard this exact line uh, said to you. But uh, we encourage you to keep listening and keep going to school if you're still in school. <laughs> That's right. You can do both. You can listen to podcasts while you're in school. <laughs> and you listen. Like we don't condone cutting class to listen to Apple Chat, but we totally understand why you would. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey. I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Okay, so there, uh, one of the things that's kind of topic in this movie is the Hollow Earth, um, which is a famous fiction staple, also known as subterranean fiction. Um, it's this idea that the earth is hollow and that, you know, there are civilizations underneath of it and stuff. I know this is something that I used to believe when I was like four or five years old that we lived on the inside of the earth, you know, and like the sky was like the like something else because the idea of living on the edge of it was terrifying that you could just like fall off. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't until much later that I realized that we lived on the surface of the earth. Uh, when I was reading a uh, magic school bus uh, books with my parents. So thanks, Magic School. But thank you, uh, Mrs. Frizzle, for saving me from falling into conspiracies, I guess. (laughs) Please let this be an ordinary field trip. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this idea, Hollow Earth, really started with Edmund Holley, um, which is the comet guy uh, from the 17th century. The uh, Halley's Comet uh, was the guy who originally came up with this idea or is first credited with it in 1692. Um, he conjectured that the earth might consist of a hollow shell about 800 kilometers thick 
two inner concentric shells and an innermost core. Atmospheres separated these shells, and each shell had its own magnetic poles. The spheres rotate at different speeds, and uh, Holly uh, proposed this uh, scheme in order to explain anonymous, comp anonymous compass readings. Uh, he envisioned the atmosphere inside as luminous um, and possibly inhabited, and speculated that the escaping gas caused the aurora borealis. So a lot of things that he's theorizing on that would explain things it really are jumping from uh, conclusion to conclusion here. Uh, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of evidence for this, just kind of like uh, proposing things. Not just one hollow earth, but several hollow earths inside of each other. Um, so pretty, uh, pretty intense stuff. So um, what's interesting, I think, is that we've never really dug deep enough to like see what's inside the core um we've been uh we've been able to get about seven miles i think is the deepest hole we've ever dug um like straight down there are uh like mining or like oil mining rigs that dig further but at uh, specifically they dig at angles so they never really go further than like two miles i think um so the earth's crust is four thousand miles thick so like to get to the mantle uh, so it's a really far, really, really long way. You can imagine maybe there's something in between, the, you know, those those areas. Um, but uh, according to our understandings of gravity and our understandings of earthquakes and stuff, this is not possible. Uh, size, like the way that like uh, ripples that cause earthquakes go through the earth, um, it wouldn't work that way if it was hollow. Um, so like it, it, able to predict how those things will affect things and like how an earthquake in one area will affect an earthquake or cause an earthquake somewhere else. Uh, we have, it's based on the understanding that the earth is basically solid or at least has like, you know, molten uh, liquid on, in the inside, uh, which is again, pretty dense. What exactly stops us from digging further than that? We just lose interest after a while or is Yeah, there there's not really anything past that to do. I mean, it's really, really difficult. I mean, because you have to, Take, whatever you dig down there you have to transport out right so right. you have to transport rocks seven miles straight up that's a lot of you know that's a lot of effort um and like there's not really much we need that for right we can get pretty good readings about that the stuff that's down there just by using like radar and stuff so we have a pretty good understanding of how things are without being intrusive um so okay any anyway um so this was this is originally like uh kind of a uh way to connect myths of our past to a modern understanding of the world maybe like the hollow earth was an entrance to the underworld which is frequently referenced in like ancient mythology um but uh again like this was just kind of connect trying to connect something that was all you know not meant to be history uh with uh, our understanding of the world um, but maybe we were hoping that there was something underneath of us um, in 1864, uh, Jules Verne published his book, The Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, which is, a, again, a very famous example of subterranean fiction. Classic. I read that yeah. one when I was a kid. Um, there's also, there's a whole bunch of other, like, uh, tangent uh, conspiracies or theories about hollow earth. Uh, there's this guy um, who named uh, Cyrus Teed, uh, who's a doctor from upstate New York, um, proposed that a concave hollow earth, meaning that similar to what we see in this movie where Kong like is walking on the ground and then he kind of flips gravity. Um, and there's like a point where like it, it goes to the other side and then, you know, Godzilla point uh, shoots a beam of energy straight down 
but that that uh hole is not in the ceiling it's in the ground right so kong is sort of standing and in, then in godzilla are standing on opposite ends of something right right um so there, there's this idea that like there's a concave or hollow earth so like people live on the inside of a big old sphere and it's in in the middle is like the sun and the moon and all this other stuff okay um that I saw a really cool example, or I read a really cool example of this in the book, The Time Ships, which was a spiritual successor to The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, uh, where they built uh, this big, uh, this or this uh, civilization built a giant Dyson sphere around uh, the Sun, Mercury, and Venus. Uh, so it's a giant sphere inside of our solar system, and uh, they lived on the outside because they like the dark, but humans or humans equivalents in the future lived on the inside. And it was this massive thing, uh, like and the sun never set or anything, uh, but you could see everything because you could see for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles straight across. And, you, and like you could see wars happening, you could see explosions, you could see all this like manners of civilizations and different biomes and stuff all across it. It was really cool. So um, I really like that. I like, that is a uh as a place for fiction um mm-hmm. it's a cool place for things to happen anyway uh there's also this whole thing with the nazis of course there's oh. uh, always the nazis what are involved they, yeah no uh, one expected this <laughs> uh, several 20th century german writers uh published works advocating for the hollow earth hypothesis um it it was never been re- it was it has been reported, uh, although apparent with without a historical documentation, that Adolf Hitler was influenced to concave hollow earth ideas and sent an exposition to an unsuccessful attempt to spy on a British fleet uh, by pointing uh, infrared cameras up at the sky. Um, so he believed that we were living in a concave earth right now, and that if he, if he looked straight up, he would see the other side of the world. Um, so I just got an idea for a movie that... Okay we could actually find out like which could be a versus movie that with an actual winner we could do uh hollow earthers versus flat earthers oh wow the extremists from each belief system go to war to prove that they're right Mm. and then they all get they're blown away by uh spherical roundies (laughs) (laughs) yes um, so there's also this this thing called um, Symes Holes, which was uh, theorized by Captain John Cleves Symes Jr., um, which is basically entrances to hollow Earth. It's through volcanoes or maybe a hole in Antarctica or something like that. Um, so these were this is how we got there, basically. And then if you're if you're a real um, you know big brain, then you're you believe in the hollow moon theory that the moon is actually a spaceship. Um, and it's hollow and it's just looking like a natural satellite and there's actually Nazis living in there or something, um, you know, as, as it would be. So. <laughs> My, uh, I'm, I'm more of a uh, Wallace and Gromit moon conspiracy theorist where I believe the moon is actually made of cheese. Yes. But this is an interesting uh, addition to the uh, theories. It's actually a cheese factory on the inside of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it got some parts of it right, but not all of it, so. <laughs> well, they did an expedition there and proved that it was made of cheese, but it's fine. You know, we agree to disagree. <laughs> um, okay. Well, is that, is that it, Joy? That's all I got. Well, I think that's going to conclude our conversation on Godzilla versus Kong. As we do at the end of every episode of Athful Chat, we will deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to this movie? 
The only rating I could possibly give. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I think that has never been more true than at the end of this episode. Uh, I, I give this movie one ride on the Florida to Hong Kong hyperloop. Because why the hell would that exist? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Joey, what's, uh, what's next on Affable Chat? Uh... We, we don't know. Yeah, you don't have to don't, wait to find out. Yeah, we got a couple things in the works. We'll see how things go. But you can trust that there will be a new episode in your podcast feed next week, as it always is. We'll give you something. Yep. So uh, there you have it. You can subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, uh, leave us a review because it really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat, and there are episodes of the podcast and stream clips and other fun stuff not related to movies on there. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode of Affable Chat. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.